So we were um, we were doing a read aloud, and I have the the story on. Um, it's like an audio book, and so all the iPads were put away. The kids have their books, so I was just sitting at my desk so I could pause the recording um, to talk about it as we went along. And I thought I could see all of my students, and then I kind of realized partway through one of my kids is kind of behind my like view wise behind my computer. Um, so I kind of peek and he has his chair, he's sitting in his chair and then the chair in front of him is facing him with his binder propped up. So I can't see what's in his lap and it looks like he's on his iPad and I don't see his iPad or his book. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to bust him. I'm going to get him. And I was like, so I, and everyone's listening. So I just quietly get up from my chair and he's looking at his lap and I'm like, ah, ha ha teacher moment. I got him. And I go over and I look and he's not playing with his laptop. He's playing with himself. Oh no. <laughs> and it was out and I saw it and he quickly forward to like cover himself up. And I just, I just looked at his face. I go, you need to take out your book and read. And I turned around and just in my head, full on panic because I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I just saw it. And I just, I mean, I just freaked out. It was terrible. Welcome to Hashtag Teacher Life. I'm your host, Victoria Wong, a retired kindergarten teacher, aspiring nomad, and lover of honest and open conversations. This podcast is dedicated to giving teachers a platform to share their stories, and in doing so, create a community where educators feel empowered, can support each other, and together improve the health and sustainability of teachers, one honest conversation at a time. That crazy story came from Liz, a middle school teacher from Southern California. I had a blast talking to her. We laughed about awkward middle school years, discussed new slang and pop culture trends, and joked about how old teaching can sometimes make us feel. But on a more serious note, we also dove into how Liz balances her marriage with teaching, copes with difficult parents, and finally learned how to say no. Liz was quirky, passionate, and insightful, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. All right. Hey, Liz, welcome to Hashtag Teacher Life. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time out of your weekend. I know weekends are precious for teachers. (laughs) Um, Well, it's getting to be the end of the school year, so I'm starting to relax just a little bit. Just a little. Yeah. How much more time do you guys have left? Um, I think we're down to 18 or 19 days. We're dead on the 30th. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty similar to mine. I think we have a week less than you guys. So that's great. It's exciting. The end is near. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. They're getting crazy, but it's fun. Mm -hmm. Um, So to start off our interview, what are (laughs) five words that you would use to describe yourself? Oh gosh. Um, Energetic. Um, uh, Very cheesy. 
if that can count as one word. Yeah. A um, little bit crazy, um, kind, and generous. Where did the cheesy one come from? <laughs> um, I think my sense of humor is very cheesy, and I think that's what, what makes me well-suited for middle school. Um, mm-hmm. I like puns, and I don't take myself too seriously. Um, so I know that I'm not cool <laughs> and the kids know that. And I think they like, um, seeing someone embrace their, their kind of nerdy side and, and cause middle school is such a weird, awkward time. Um, so I think that cheesiness and, and being kind of goofy helps make them feel more comfortable with themselves because they're all kind of goofy and weird too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's so true. I remember being in middle school and always wanting to make fun of my middle school teachers. Oh, yeah. Um, because you're like, everyone's so weird and I'm the cool one. And I love that you embrace that because I feel like if you tried to be cool for middle schoolers, like you're just oh, setting yourself up to fail. You will get eaten alive. I tried to use their slang once, seriously, and the looks on their faces were just Oh my gosh, I can't believe she just said that. Like, oh, we're not going to do that again. <laughs> what is some of the slang that middle schoolers use? Oh my God. Um, the one that took me a really long time to figure out was yeet. Have you heard that one? Yeet? yeet like Y E E T? Yeah. And so they would just say it. And I was like, okay, you guys, you have to tell me what this means. And I got 30 different answers. So apparently it's kind of like, like woohoo, but also like to eat something means to like throw it, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a multi-dimensional yeah. word. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they even really know what it means. Um, and then another one that's really big now that I like to use just to kind of tease them is Gucci. Like if something is really good, it's Gucci. Oh, and okay. Like, they're like the Gucci gang. And so they're like, yeah, I'm feeling Gucci today, guys. And they're like, oh my God, no, sir. <laughs> okay, now I don't feel so old. That one I actually remember using in college or something. Oh, okay. So, so, yeah, no, I feel so incredibly old because every other day they asked me if I could um, catch the low. Have you heard the low? No. Heard what? A little, a little dance move. Um, okay. So, yeah, it just all of a sudden happened and I got asked by three or four kids, do you catch the woe? And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about, you guys. It's too late in the year for this. I'm tired. I don't know. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, my five-year-olds also are, I feel like, more in tune to pop culture than I am. Like, they're always always doing all these dances, which I think are from Fortnite or something, because everything that they talk about is Fortnite. So there's, like, I know the floss. That one I knew coming in, but then they're all like doing these dance moves and they're like, oh, this is the shoe. And then this one is a stanky leg, but I don't understand the difference between the two. And then there's like a dance move called Orange Justice. So there was one day they just kept doing it because we have these dance breaks. So I was just like, stop everyone. Please explain all of these dance moves to me because I'm getting them so confused. So they like taught me the names of all the dance moves. I was like, okay, now, you know, I'm I'm a cool teacher. (laughs) Well, we actually, at the end of our year assembly, the teachers did a Fortnite dance, like, um, like a little show for the kids where one of the teachers would announce all the dances and then the teachers would do them. And the kids flipped out. Like our teachers, I didn't do it because I was, I didn't want to embarrass myself, (laughs) Um, but I should have, because it was amazing and the kids loved it. Um, 
But I feel like that's what makes our school awesome is they embrace the the trends that the with the exception of bottle flipping and the fidget spinners. We were not having that. Oh my god, bottle but, flipping is the worst. <laughs> Some of them still do it, and I was like, guys, that's so last year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Fortnite dances—they're all over the place. They love them. So yeah, it's, it's all crazy. they talk about. Yeah, I'm surprised the the five year olds do it too. But yeah, I guess everywhere they're everywhere. Like walking down the hallway, you just see them like doing the <laughs> dance where like you put the loser sign and then your feet are oh. kind of going from side to side. And I'm oh, just like, guys, yeah. we're walking in the hallway and they're like do 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 do, like doing all these dances. <laughs> I see the kids where they you know do their like fist in the air and like kick their foot out. And, I think like, that's the shoe. Okay, the shoe. Okay, they do that all the time as they're walking places. And I'm like, how are you not falling over right now? I don't know. They find any time in the day to do all of these crazy moves. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, they're funny, but they're my little weirdos. I like them. <laughs> yeah, embrace the weird. Middle school is so weird. <laughs> it's such an awkward time. And I think that's kind of why I liked it. Like, I was not the cool middle schooler. So I think this is my way of of being like, it's okay, guys. It's weird for everybody. Nobody likes it. It's fine. Yeah. I wonder if there is anyone who has ever been like, yeah, middle school is awesome because it's just worst years of your life. Like you don't know what's happening to your body. You're having all these emotions. Like all of a sudden it matters how you look and you're like, oh no, but I have pimples all over my face. Well, it's so funny, especially sixth grade. There's such a difference between the kids. Some of the kids come in and they look like they could still be in third grade. They're teeny tiny. They still like, you know, the elementary school stuff. And then there are other kids who come in and you're like, oh my God, you're taller than I am. And you look like you could be in high school. And Mm -hmm. so there's this really big difference between the kids. Just such a big gap. Um, and even when we're done with sixth grade and they start heading into seventh grade, you still have some kids who still are very much sixth graders and some kids who are, like I said, ready for high school. And, and those are the ones you have to watch out with because at the end of the year, they start getting that like kind of inappropriate humor and the hormones start to kick in and Mm -hmm. they're like, no, there are still babies in this class. Like keep them innocent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure there's such a difference. Like I remember in middle school, I think I stopped growing in like seventh grade and then there were still some people like we came back in eighth grade and people had grown a foot. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh, now I see you. Like before they were like that dorky little kid who is still like shorter than five feet tall and like super lanky and had a super high pitched voice. And then like after one summer they come in, they're completely different. Yeah. It's crazy. At the beginning of the year, I remember... I was out at duty and there was this kid who was probably like six, two. He was so tall. And he was talking to his friend who was probably five, two. And they just were having a completely normal conversation. And I just had to kind of giggle at myself or at them a little bit. Um, because it just looks so funny. The one little kid is just craving his neck to look up. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you guys, this is if I could caption middle school and take a picture, that picture would be middle school. The really tall kid and the really short kid. and same age though. Yeah, I love that. Are there like, I'm, I mean, I'm sure there are, but what are some things that you experienced in middle school that you kind of see your students going through? Um, 
I think just the friend relationships is really, really big for them right now. Um, trying to balance meeting new kids and having new friends. And sometimes you're not going to be as close as the people you were close to in elementary school and you develop new friends and just trying to, to navigate all of that. Um, it's really big and the academics get hard for them because they're more concerned with who their friends are and what so-and-so is saying about them and what's going on. And um, so just trying to balance the relationships I see them going through that a lot and just figuring out who they are and that it's okay to be a little bit weird or it's okay to like this or not like that. And, and just the social aspect, I think is, is the hardest thing for them. That's something that I related to. I wasn't super popular. I kind of had a close group of friends, but not, you know, I didn't have a huge friend group. Um, and sort of some of my friends were starting to get, bigger friend groups. And I wasn't quite a part of that. Um, and we still stayed close, but it was just kind of navigating those different groups and, and friends and, and that's hard for them. And, and it was hard for me. And so I think that's something that's like, all right, if I can make this, this a little bit more fun and a little bit more comfortable, then I'd like to do that. Mm-hmm. Do you find that a lot of the middle schoolers will like reach out to you when they are having these problems? I've got a couple. Um, and I keep my room open during lunchtime. Um, so if kids want to come in, they can just come eat. And sometimes they come in with one or two friends. Sometimes they come in by themselves. Um, and I don't hang out with them or there's nothing going on in my room. I don't have a movie playing or anything. It's just, hey, if you want to come eat my room, it's open. Um, and it kind of word gets out throughout the year. And some days I have 15 kids in my room, which is a, which is a bit much um, during my break time, too. Um, because they are loud and weird in my room sometimes, but, um, other times I just have one or two kids and they just, you know, hang out and eat and I'm totally fine with that. Um, and then I have, I'm in a portable and so we have a ramp leading up to my room. And so when kids need to talk, they know they ask to just go out to the ramp and it's kind of like my little confessional. So if kids are in trouble and I need to talk to them without being in front of everybody else, we go out and we talk on the ramp. Or if they're having a tough day, we go out and we talk on the ramp. And so we kind of have a little bit of a, a safe space um, for either, you know, sometimes it's discipline issues and then sometimes it's just they're having a rough day and they need to talk or they need to take a couple deep breaths or there's a lot more crying in middle school than you would expect <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because all of those hormones are starting to kick in and navigating relationships and stuff like that really starts to happen. So, so I've definitely had some interesting tough conversations with kids out on the ramp. Yeah. I imagine my roommate teaches fifth grade and they're like completely ready for middle school. All the hormones are kicking in. She comes home every day. She's like, there is so much crying. It feels like I'm teaching kindergarten again. It's, I did not expect this much crying. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, why are you crying this time? Like, you know, and they're, they're mm-hmm. still little. Um, one of my coworkers reminded me um, at the end of my first year to remember when you go back the next year, they're babies, like they're babies again. And you start all over and just throughout the year when they're having those moments and, and, and this better, just remember they're still babies. Like they're 11, 12 years old. That's, that's mm-hmm. young. They're little. So it's something yeah. I kind of remind myself yeah. a lot. Like they're still babies. It's okay. Give them a break. 
Mm-hmm. So how long have you been teaching sixth grade? Um, so this is my third year, um, but I like to say third year with a little bit of an asterisk um, because I started my first year as a long-term stop. Um, so I started the, I think it was the second week of school. Um, my second day was back to school night. So that was exciting. <laughs> um, and I was a long-term sub until December of 2016. And then the teacher who I took over for um, decided to stay home with their baby and I got to take over her position. So uh, I taught almost that whole first year. Yeah. Did you yeah. feel prepared when you went in as a long-term sub to take over the classroom? Yes and no. Um, it was, oh, I never even thought of that. Um, I kind of just jumped into it. Um, I felt prepared in that I was excited to have a position for that long. I was excited to be able to kind of take over my own classroom, even though it wasn't quite mine yet. Um, because it was something that I've always wanted. Um, so I think excitement level, I was prepared, um, as far as actual logistics, um, I was kind of sort of prepared. My The teacher that actually got me the position and recommended me for the long-term position, I had said for her before. Um, so I was familiar with the school. I was familiar with their schedule and all that. Um, and when she found out I got the long-term position, she emailed me all of these materials. She emailed me sub plans. She emailed me a Google Slide presentation for back to school night. She prepared me as much as she possibly could. She took her own weekend and gave me as much as I needed. I was able to ask her questions. Um, The teacher that was, or the sub that was in the room before me, she ended up being hired at that school for a science position. And she left me a handwritten note saying, um, here's some writing samples and here's what we're doing. And that's all she left me because she was trying to get ready for her own position as well and she was moving quickly um so she didn't quite have time to leave me very much um but but my team really stepped up and helped provide me with everything that I needed any questions that I had um I obviously kind of gravitated towards the one teacher that I had had known um but the whole team really stepped up to make sure that that I did okay um but yeah it's kind of hard to prepare for a position like that when you jump in so early um, or so late in the year, I should say. You don't really have those days before school starts to set up your classroom and make it how you want it. And um, the teacher that had the room before me was big into sports, and I am not very athletic. Um, so there were a lot of, like, you know, baseball fabric on the walls. And I was like, oh, yeah, if I get this classroom, that's going to come down real fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you do to the classroom to make it more like your own? Um, I was very lucky. My mother-in-law was a teacher. And so she came in, um, and helped me set things up. So for that first year, um, I, I did take down some fabric and stuff and just put up minimal things. Um, I came in a couple days over winter break, um, and put up like bulletin boards and stuff. But my room now is so, so different from my first year. Um, we got new furniture which is really exciting. It's a lot nicer. Um, but I have um, bulletin boards and I use fabric as the background and they're nice and colorful. I like a lot of color. Um, and we do a kindness chain every year. So that's hanging from my ceiling and I've got, you know, 
some cute posters and stuff like that. Um, but one of the bigger things that I did was behind my desk, I made like a teacher bulletin board. And I have all my, um, I have some pictures of my family and my friends. And I've got a calendar that you can color every month. And I let the kids take turns coloring it. So that's up there. Um, I've got little knickknacks. I have a little Lego set that I put up every month, like a different one. So just like just little things to make it a little more homey and a little more fun. Mm-hmm. And it's very bright and busy and colorful. Yeah. I always love walking into different teachers' classrooms and seeing like how different their styles are. Oh, and, totally. Like I know I just started like having my own classroom this year. So I was in complete control of like where all the furniture went, what I put up. And it made a huge difference for me just in terms of feeling comfortable in the classroom. So what's your favorite thing that you did to your classroom to make it your own? Um, so I have a French bulldog and I always just, I had always thought that when I had my own classroom, I would be like the crazy dog lady. Um, and my dreams have come true. Because I now have little Frenchy knickknacks everywhere, and the kids have started to get me little Frenchy things because they know. <laughs> um, so I have a gold Frenchy um, tape dispenser, and we call, my dog's name is Mona, so we call it the Mona tape. Uh, and it lives on my desk. The kids know they can use it, but it always has to come back to my desk versus the other, you know, just generic tape dispenser that can kind of be, you know, in its little spot. Um, so I have to say, I think I think all the Frenchy knickknacks. Um, all over the place. I've gotten really cute little Frenchie, um, like dish towels and uh, little ornaments and stuff like that. And um, every Friday I make a meme uh, with my dog. We call it the Mona meme and it tells them what they're supposed to do over the weekend. So it's like little things like Mona says, you know, be happy this weekend or Mona says whatever. And it says, we always listen to Mona because we've decided Mona's the boss. So we have to listen to her. Mm-hmm. Um so just, just having all that stuff there just makes me happy when I walk in. I'm like, oh, my little Mona stuff. <laughs> I love that. It's like having a little piece of home inside of your totally. classroom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're begging me to bring her in. But I was like, no, it's not allowed, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if I could, it would be amazing. Oh, they would love that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So can you tell me a little more about, like, what your path has been in education? Because I know you said it had some twists and turns and changes? Yeah. Um, so I kind of, um, so I moved out to California about 13 years ago and I knew that I was going to, I wanted to teach. I moved from upstate New York. Um, and so when I moved out here, I went to school for uh, childhood and adolescent development. I thought, okay, if I'm going to teach, it would probably be a good idea to understand the kids. Um, and I'm glad I chose that path. I think it's, it's been helpful. Um, and then I got my degree and I got my teaching credential and I got my teaching credential in 2010. And that's when they were laying everybody off. Um, I heard stories of teachers who had been teaching for 10 years and they were pink slips. Um, so I kind of, I applied places and I tried, um, but I've, I've since learned that if you're not subbing, if you don't know people, it's really difficult to get your foot in the door. And at that time, it was even more difficult. Um, so I was actually, I actually worked for a daycare for about six months before I got an email from a friend asking if I knew a nanny and I had been a living nanny before. Um, so I knew, you know, I could be really good for this. So I interviewed and I ended up nannying for about five years because, um, they just, 
there were no jobs. It was really hard to get hired at the time. Um, and so when the youngest um, was going into preschool, we kind of decided that that was a natural time for me to start subbing again and to try to make teaching work. Um, so I subbed a couple days a week and then the next year, um, we decided, okay, you know, it's natural carding. We were still on good terms. It's a really good family. Um, and so I subbed full-time for about a year at the end of my first year subbing full-time, I got a long-term position and I thought, okay, this is great. It was seventh grade middle school, which I never thought I'd do middle school, but ended up loving it. Um, and, um, I knew that there was going to be a position open the following year. And I thought, okay, I'm definitely a shoo-in. I, I subbed for a couple months and it went really well and everybody knows me and I didn't even get an interview. So it was really disappointing. I was, I was really bummed out. But it worked out because the next year is when I got the long-term position at my current school. Um, and it worked out and I'm, I'm coming back next year. So I'm really happy that, that it stuck and... I'm happy I'm in middle school and it's weird that I'm, that I'm happy I'm in middle school. I never thought I would do that. But I love it. Yeah. How did you kind of cope with the discouragement that you got from, you know, not getting an interview? Um, I was really, I was really disappointed. Um, but I wasn't super surprised. Um, I had only sat there for a couple months, but I was, I was really I was really discouraged. I was really bummed out. Um, but I still had bills to pay. So, um, gosh, what did I do that summer? I think I had enough saved up. I don't know that I, I think I just kind of babysat and stuff like that and just kind of wallowed. Um, but, uh, my husband and I decided like, again, we, we've got bills to pay and we'll just keep subbing and hopefully something will happen. And, um, I had heard of people having to sub for a couple years before they got jobs. So I knew that it might be a longer path um, and just made sure I was on a couple different self lifts and, and kept my head down and just kept going. I figured it'll happen someday. Mm -hmm. So maybe a little, little uh, denial that, that it might not happen. And luckily it did. That's great. Yeah. I mean, so you were kind of waiting to teach for a while, right? Cause you nannied yeah. for five years. Did you feel yeah the passion that you originally started with for teaching kind of dull as you were waiting? Like, did you consider moving into other fields or were you pretty dead set on going into the classroom? Um, I think I, I think I definitely got comfortable nannying. Like I said, it was a really, really good family. Um, you know, I went in at seven 30 and I was usually done by four 30 and I knew what I had to do and I knew the kids well and the family was great. They treated me really well. Um, so I definitely think that there was a little bit of, you know, feeling a little complacent and feeling a little like, all right, I'm just going to do this for a while and it's fine. But um, I definitely got antsy towards the end and it, and it got to the point where like, okay, I'm not really like I'd get little raises here and there, and but I wasn't really moving up or doing incredibly better or anything like that. I was like, all right, I don't know that I just want to, to be like this forever. I don't, I don't want to be the, you know, nanny that's 40 with her own family on the playground and, and just taking care of other people. Well, I guess I take care of other people's kids now too. <laughs> <laughs> in a different way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just didn't want to be 
doing this forever. This was supposed to be an in the meantime type of situation until I got a job. Um, so it, it did kind of get to a point where, you know, I did get comfortable and it was just easy to go in and then go home, but like, all right, you went through all this, all this school and all this training and, and your credentials going to run out. So you need to do something soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. So a nice little push. Yeah. Do you feel comfortable in teaching or do you feel like it's constantly challenging you and pushing you? Oh, uh, it depends on the hour. Um, <laughs> it depends on the day, but no, it depends on, on the hour, I would say. Um, sometimes I feel really comfortable when a lesson goes really well or I'm connecting with my kids and, and things are going really, really well. Um, but then there are other times when I feel like, oh my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I can't believe that someone has put me in charge of this classroom because I do not fit here. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and it's just been, I like it because it's, it's different every day and it's challenging every day. I think I would get really bored. Um, with the exception of Nanny, this is really the longest job that I've had. Um, because I tend to get a little bit antsy, um, but nothing stays the same in teaching. Even when I'm doing an activity that I did the year before, it's different because all of my kids are different. Um, and that can be really frustrating sometimes <laughs> because I just want it to be the same thing. Um, but it can also be really great because it, it keeps things exciting. Yeah, it and, definitely keeps you on your toes. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Mm-hmm. What are some um, things that make you feel like the lesson didn't go well or make you feel like you've kind of uh, failed, I guess, like in an hour? You know, what what is the difference? I think the most frustrating thing is when I've gone over a concept and I've gone over it a couple different ways because I know, OK, if I explain it this way, not everybody's going to understand it. Um, and they still don't get it. Or I've got a couple kids who just still are t- totally clueless and I'm just like did you were you not listening um did I explain it wrong is it over your heads what just that lack of understanding when I feel like I did okay explaining it um and and then there are times when I'm I'm explaining things that maybe I'm not as comfortable with my my understanding of um and I know I'm like oh man I'm not explaining this well because I don't I don't get it as much as I should. Um, and that really sucks because it's like, oh, man, I should know this better at this point. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just because it's a new, um, like a new concept for us or it's a new curriculum or it's a new program that we're using and I'm trying to figure it out. Um, like we just adopted Reader's Workshop. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we just adopted Reader's Workshop. And so the teaching points are new for us. And the stories are new for us and what they want us to go over is new for us. Um, and so that's been a struggle. Um, but luckily we adopted writer's workshop my first year. So I remember that struggle and feeling like I don't know what I'm doing and just kind of muddling through it. Um, so that's made it easier this year with the reader's workshop. And I, I almost want to apologize to my kids because I'm like, all right, guys, it's our first year. You're not going to get the best the best mm-hmm. learning experience because we're figuring it out too. And I'm like, you should come back next year and I'll be so much better. 
Yeah, I completely relate to that. My school has a tendency to switch curriculum a lot. So my first year, I think I had to learn like our math curriculum and I I just had to learn everything my first year. So I don't think I taught anything well because I was like, I don't know how to teach. And then this year we started this new reading curriculum. Um, It's called Kip Wheatley and it's very rigorous and it works on like a lot of reading comprehension skills, which are really important, but it was just the lessons were they had all these different components to it and all these different sections and all these different exit tickets and all these different books. And I think it took us a better, like at least the first half of the year, if not more to just fully get comfortable with like, how do I teach this? And then kind of diving into like, okay, how can we make this better? So then now I feel more comfortable with it, but then I'm like, oh my gosh, for the past three quarters of the year, have you guys learned anything? (laughs) I don't know. No, and that's amazing. And I think that's what a lot of people who don't teach don't understand is that even if we're given a curriculum, it's not like we're given like, here's exactly how to do this and how to teach this and then just give this worksheet and then the kids will magically learn things. Um, I think, you know, I know that we did a lot of like handouts and worksheets when I was growing up and I know even more in the past, it's it's been that way where it's been very teacher centered. but it's so hard when you're given materials now, because technically Reader's Workshop isn't even curriculum. Um, it's just skills that they want them to learn. And then we have to implement that. Mm-hmm. And so we had a lot of planning days and worked a lot as a team and had trainings on how to break this stuff down and how to teach it and what to do with the kids. And and we make notes because this year was, you know, as I tell my kids, you know, it was a little poo-poo. It was not great. but we know that next year it'll be better. And then the next year after that, it'll be better. And then they'll change our curriculum and then we'll start. Over. Yep. That's the cycle. <laughs> yep. uh, did you feel like your school gave you a lot of support when you did get this new curriculum? I think they're trying. Um, we've had a couple trainings, um, you know, full day trainings. And I think I do feel like our, our district is, listening to our feedback we do like a google form um survey at the end of each training on on how we felt it went um we did have a really good training where it was um it's teachers prep college or teachers college prep something like that came in and did a training and um the facilitator actually led us through a mini lesson like she was the teacher and we were the students um, so that was even more helpful than going in to see a teacher teaching and observing, um, being part of the mini lesson and having her speak to us like she was a teacher, like how we would say things to our kids. Um, for me personally, it was really, really helpful um, just mm-hmm. seeing that modeled. Um, so I think I think they're trying. Um, one of the biggest thing, and I, I think a lot of teachers feel this way, is just having time to plan with your team and and prep with your team. That was something that over and over and over we said on our forums, like we just need more time to break these teaching points apart and to look at the materials and figure out how we want to do it and when we want to do it. Um, And they did our, our last training of the year, we finally did get about an hour, hour and a half of pure planning time with our team. So that was, was super helpful. So I think, I think they're trying. 
Um, I think that when they, they adopt these new programs, the intentions are good. I think we're all just trying to do the best for the kids, but I think sometimes um, they don't give it enough time to really sink in. It takes, you know, three to five years for a program to really start to do well and for teachers to get comfortable and they tend to change curriculum every like three to five years. Yes. Yes. I can really feel that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like with my school, we work with um, a large population of native Spanish speakers. Mm -hmm. So especially like coming into elementary school, a lot of them come in not knowing any English and mm-hmm. we'll implement this curriculum. And when they get to fourth grade, like maybe they're conversationally proficient in English, but not academically proficient. So yeah. like how they're doing isn't, it still isn't an accurate assessment of what their knowledge is and how much they okay. know and what their skills are. But then when we get to fourth grade and we're like, oh no, like they're not doing as well in the star test. Let's change all yeah. of it again. And it's frustrating because we're like, we're not waiting long enough. Like we're not waiting long enough to see how the kids are doing. We're not factoring in the fact that like they are also learning English while they are learning all this material in English. So yeah, it makes sense that they're a little behind, but ultimately like we do want them to grow up being bilingual and biliterate. And we've just changed from being a bilingual program to like all English just with a Spanish elective because of those results. And I was like, we didn't wait long enough. Like we didn't wait yeah. long enough. And now we're taking away all of this Spanish from them. And we're taking away their biliteracy and like taking away what yeah. we used to value. Like we used to value their background and the fact that they speak Spanish at home. And now we're just forcing English on them all the time. Yeah. So I completely relate to the frustration oh, <laughs> that yeah. you're having. Yeah. It's so valuable to have, you know, to be bilingual and biliterate and and it's too bad that, that that that's happening because those are the kids. This is our first year. We used to have um, an EL cluster where one teacher would have all of the EL students because we don't have as many in our school. And this is our first year where we've spread the kids um, around to the other classrooms because we saw that her classroom was kind of being labeled as the slower class or the dumber class because it was kids who were, you know, still trying to learn another language, which is phenomenal that they're they're doing that period um but middle schoolers don't see that (laughs) um and I've really had to slow myself down this year and be more mindful of how I teach and what I teach and just making sure that those students that I know are English language learners are understanding just the vocabulary that I use they're not behind intelligence wise but they just might not understand what that word means in English And that was kind of a big awakening for me this year that, oh, sometimes when I'm reading a story or doing a read aloud or we're talking about something, I have to stop and explain what that word means. And then you see the light bulb goes on and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, now I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And they're totally Mm -hmm. right there with me again. I'm like, okay, I just need to stop and slow down and and make sure they understand the little things and then they're fine. But it's it's hard when the curriculum is, is wanting you to just keep going and keep going and keep going. Exactly. Yeah. There's, it's definitely not like a one size fits all, which I think people do expect curriculum to be that way. Like you implement this great curriculum and then you'll get your results and it'll work for all the students, but it never does. No. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the whole unique, different kind of people thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. People, people do happen to be different. (laughs) Yeah. Funny. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Um, so you've been teaching full time for how long now then? So about three years. This okay. is my third. Yep. Have you noticed a difference between how you felt your first year and how you feel now in your third year of teaching? Yes. Um, I expected every year to just get easier and easier and oh, I know what I was doing and it's totally great and it is totally great, but it's so much harder. Um, this year I think has been my hardest year. Um, and I think part of that is just, you know, I'm starting to see the less rainbows and unicorn part of teaching where I've got some nasty notes from parents and, um, like we were just talking about curriculum changes and they want you to do this and they want you to do more. And, um, this was really the first year where, um, I think I kind of scared my husband a little bit because I told him it was October, November is where, where things start to get really intense that I can kind of see why people leave this field and I can see why the turnover rate is so high. And my past two years, it was, it was just rainbows and unicorns and I have a passion and I love teaching and I'm going to do this forever and everything's wonderful and I'm really tired, but it's okay because this is my calling. Um, mm-hmm. This year I was like, everything sucks and parents are mad at me because their kids not doing well, but their kids not doing well because they're not turning anything in and it's hard and they want us to do this new writing stuff and reading stuff and I don't know what I'm doing. And it's just, it was kind of a little bit of a wake up call that, oh, okay, yeah, this is a, a difficult job and I can see why why people leave. Um, so it's it's definitely definitely changed this year. Um, but now that we're getting close to the end of the year, um, I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel and I'm both very, very tired, but a little bit re-energized because I know, okay, I'm going to get a break soon and then we get to start over <laughs> and I get to try again. Yeah. Could you share some of the things that you experienced this year that made you kind of dull that passion a little bit or like see more of the reality of teaching? Yeah, um, I think, well, I think I kind of overextended myself a little bit with the extras that I did. Um, I uh, I am clearing my credential this year. Um, so we have a program in California called induction where your, um, initial credential is only good for five years. And then you have to go through this program, um, to clear it. And so this is my last year of induction. I'm almost done. Um, but you have to provide all this evidence and make a pro, uh, portfolio on how you're meeting the teacher standards. And so that's a lot. Um, today there's activities, you have to document all this stuff. Um, and then I'm also doing gate training. Um, are you familiar with gate? No, what is it? Uh, it's the gifted and talented educate something. Like that. It's the gifted kids. Um, and so we are, our district is really pushing for a lot of teachers to get gate trained um, to help meet the needs of those gifted students. So you're not just meeting, there's a lot of emphasis on meeting the needs of the lower level students who struggle and need extra support. But those gifted students who learn in different ways and might be a little bit higher kind of get left by the wayside sometimes because we're so focused um, on the lower level students. So to make myself a little more appealing for our district, I uh, signed up to do the gate training. Um, and then our school is, um, we are WASC accredited, which is, WASC is a accreditation. Um, it's basically showing that you're preparing your kids for college and preparing them kind of for the real world. And so it's this whole big process. 
Um, and this year we were up for reaccreditation. And I was um, asked slash um, told that I had been elected for the leadership committee for that, for this WASC accreditation. So that also involved extra meetings and extra documentation and extra work. And when the um, WASC board came in, we had Sunday meetings and we it was a lot of extra work. So just having all those extra things on top of teaching um, was was a lot of extra and that, you know, I think I was stretched a little bit too thin. Um, and then I also have the RSP cluster this year, which is the students who have um, special needs. Um, so I have, uh, I think, 12 students now out of 33 in my morning class um, that are uh, in the RSP cluster. And they are fairly, um, they're fairly low. Um, I've got a couple second and third grade level readers, um, which is really difficult. And I have an RSP teacher that comes in to support, which is very, very helpful. Um, but having a higher need class was a struggle as well. Um, and just, I think, you know, like I said, I got a couple nasty notes from parents, which was not so fun. Um, and it happened in October, right around conferences when, like I said, we're really pushing hard and we're really working hard. And, and this parent just I had sent home a think slip, which is just, it's a written warning. It doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't lead to detention. There's no big consequences. It's just, hey, your kid was acting up in class. You know, maybe think about it a little and, and don't. And the parent responded with this whole big no about how, you know, I'm torturing their child and I'm not letting them laugh in class and I'm quashing their dreams. And it's just, you know, it's funny now, um, but I was just, it was not fun at the time and I was just annoyed and upset. And so all of that kind of happened around the same time. Um, and so it just, I think just general, just being overwhelmed and stressed out and it just, you know, it just kind of made it harder and it made it more difficult. And I thought, man, this is why people leave. Like, this is why we have such a high turnover rate. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were you thinking? Like, what was your initial reaction when you did get that note from the parent? <laughs> um, I thought, this is why you don't read notes from parents in the middle of class, um, because the student gave it to me like the last five minutes of class. And I was just like, oh, man, this is terrible timing. Um, and that was a day that I had back to back conferences in the afternoons. And so I immediately took that. I thought, OK, do not email this parent back because. I didn't want to get too defensive and I've, I've written long, lengthy emails back to parents explaining my actions and, and trying to empathize and, and it's, it's just a waste of my time. And, and sometimes I think I need to recognize that sometimes parents are just frustrated and I don't need to over explain myself. So I thought, okay, no more reading notes in class. And then I, um, after my students left, I took the note over to my co-teacher, who's also my mentor for induction. And I showed it to her and I said, talk me off the ledge right now <laughs> because I was just angry. I was so annoyed that, uh, I mean, all the parent has to do is sign the paper. They don't even have to give their kid consequences. I don't really care. I just want the kid to know that they were goofing around in class. And, and I was just, I was just so irritated that I got this long letter back. So she said, okay. Here's what you do. And she told me, email the mom and say, I would love to talk about this in person. 
but I have conferences, when would be a good time to talk? So just a short, you know, one or two line email. And then you can, and then she said, go talk to the counselor who luckily she's awesome. And I'm close with as well. as she said, if they're known for, you know, beaming to other teachers, basically. So, so that's what I did. I showed the, the letter to my uh, vice principal and to our counselor. Um, and when I showed our counselor, she goes, oh, yeah. And I thought, okay, it's not me. And I guess the mom had spent the previous afternoon yelling at our office manager about something. So it, it was helpful to not deal with it right away. To, to tell the parent, okay, we can talk about this, but we're going to do it at a later time when it's more appropriate, when everybody has has settled a little bit. Um, and then go talk to administration. And luckily, our administration is super supportive. Um, they always back the teachers. If there's ever an issue, they always say, okay, you know, you can always pass it on to us or have meetings in our offices. And And I got very lucky in that case because I know it's not always the case in every school. Um, so I was able to talk to the mom on the phone the next day and just say, here's what had happened in class. And of course her, her student told a different story. Um, and she just said, okay, okay, okay. And it was a three minute phone call and it was done. And I haven't heard anything else from that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What a one idea. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm really surprised. So, but. Yeah, it was it was not a fun one. I still have the letter. I keep all the you know, if I send home blue slips, I save them all and I'm I'm debating if I wanna save that one or if I just wanna let it go and I think I need to just let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think letting things go is so hard. It's so easy to take everything personally. Uh, yeah. When any student does anything or any parent says anything, you're like, Oh no, this means I'm a bad teacher and yeah. I take it so personally. But hearing I guess hearing from other people, like especially the admin and the counselor at your school, I'm sure it must have felt so great to for them to be like, oh, yeah, like they also did this and they also yelled at someone else. So it wasn't just you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then my first year I got I got an email from a parent that was like a page long about I had them do this activity in class that I told the kids. It's one of those things you have to put in the you have to type in an answer. But if you don't spell it correctly, it's going to tell you you got it wrong. And I told my kids in class, I'm going to check it. Don't worry about it. If you spell it wrong, don't stress out. Well, the student went home and then proceeded to spend about two hours on this activity. And just like, I guess there were tears involved and she stressed out. And so I got this long email from the dad about how ridiculous it was. And he ended the email with, I'm not, this is not a personal attack on you. But quite frankly, this activity is ridiculous. <laughs> I was just like, oh my gosh. And that was the one I responded with, you know, this long explanation. And so I definitely have taken things a little too personally. And he responded, he actually responded very nicely and said, I, I'm sorry, we just had a very stressful night. And like, well, clearly you did. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think I've gotten a little bit better at, at not taking it personally and, and taking a beat before I respond. Um, because like you said, it's so easy to take it personally because a lot of times parents go personal and they talk about, you know, well, you did this or this didn't happen. And like, all right, just, just cool your jets, people. 
Mm-hmm. What are some things that you tell yourself when you notice you're starting to take things personally? Like, how do you kind of step back for yourself? Um, I try to not respond right away. And I usually try to go to someone else. Like I'll go vent to my husband or my coworker or, you know, or sometimes administration if I have to. I've, I've gotten really lucky that I haven't had too many negative parent interactions. Um, but I do try to just, just go talk to someone else first because usually they'll laugh at it with me or, or tell me like, yeah, that sucks. That's terrible that they said that. Um, but just getting someone else involved is really helpful because they can tell you to, to take a step back and not take it personally or, you know, yeah, they are being crazy pants right now. So don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've yeah. talked a lot about like having a supportive team and a supportive admin. Um, and you've mentioned your husband a couple of times. Has yeah. he been a big support for you throughout your teaching oh, career? Yeah, definitely. And and I talked to him about talking to you a little bit. And he goes, what are you going to say? And it's like, oh, terrible things. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he, um, yeah, he, so he actually got his teaching credential as well. Um, his mom was a teacher um, and she taught in second grade. Uh, most of her career, but she did special ed for a little bit as well. And she taught for 30 plus years. And so he really did get a good idea of what goes into teaching. And, you know, he would see her go into school on the weekends and he would help her grade papers and set up her classroom. And so I think when it was time for him to start choosing a career, he thought, okay, maybe I want to do that. And, um, and that gave him a really good idea of, of what's involved in teaching, just going through that student teaching experience. Um, and he, he decided it wasn't for him. He works somewhere else now, but, um, I think that's made him empathetic to what's involved. Um, and he, we were talking about this interview and, and I, he, he said, knowing how much I enjoy teaching and how much I have a passion for it made him respect it more and, and made him okay with his decision to not teach because he just didn't you know, didn't feel the same way. And, and he's great where he is now. Um, but I think that all of his experiences and his mom's experience really helped him empathize um, and have, have a bigger understanding and a bigger respect for the profession. Um, so that's been really, really helpful and really nice. Um, because when I do come in and come home frustrated or, or tired or annoyed with what's happened with the day, he, he kind of gets it and, and he'll, he's willing to listen and uh, you know, he likes to give advice and he likes to tell, oh, why didn't you try this? Or why didn't you do this? Which sometime I'm just like, no, <laughs> just, I don't need the advice right now. Um, but, but he's always been kind of my biggest cheerleader and he's been really supportive and really helpful with that. We've had some very, very cheesy, emotional conversations, especially my first and second year about how much I love it. And it's so great. And this is what I'm supposed to do. And, but it's been fun. He's been really, really great about all that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know teaching has such a huge impact on people's like work-life balance. Oh yeah. When you started teaching, especially your first year when you went in the middle of the year and like, it's so overwhelming your first year. Did that impact your relationship? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was getting up, I still get up fairly early, but I was getting up at five o'clock every morning and trying to be at work by six thirty and, so that means earlier bedtimes. Um, and that's that's something that we're still trying to balance a little bit is 
um, not wanting me personally, not wanting to stay out late or not wanting to do stuff. And I remember one time there was a Friday night where he wanted to go do stuff and I was so tired. I was so, so every, every teacher knows Friday night is just nothing's happening Friday. Like we are lucky to be up at eight o'clock and, and he just got so frustrated. He goes, wait, so I only get you one night a week. And I was like, yeah, if you want to do something, it's Saturday night or nothing, buddy. Like we, I'm tired. <laughs> um, so that was kind of a realization for him. I think that I'm just going to be really, really tired during the year. Um, and we have a term now, uh, summer Liz. We can't wait for summer Liz to come back because summer Liz is well rested. She's relaxed. Like, oh, you need a last minute thing at the store? No worries. Summer Liz has gotcha. Like, I can't wait for summer Liz to come back either because school year Liz is a little more, uh, a little more tired, a little more stressed out. Um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely been a learning curve for both of us is trying to balance that need to get sleep and need to just get work done um, and also be a good spouse and a good partner. And so that's compromise on my part too, where some nights, you know, I will stay up a little bit later so we can hang out more and just try to put my relationship first because it's really easy to push all of your energy and put all of your um all of your time into teaching, but there is, you know, the relationship's more important, you know, that'll be there long after I'm retired. And so, or I hope it will be, um, but you know, I need to remember to nurture that too, and to take care of that. And so we're, we're still figuring out that balance, but I think we've done better. Mm-hmm. What are some steps that you've taken to prioritize your relationship? Um, putting limits on when I check emails, um, 7 PM, I need to stop checking emails. And I'm not perfect with that. Um, I do have my Gmail account linked to my phone. So there are times where he'll catch me real quick responding and he's like, put down your phone. And I'm like, but, but this kid has a question and I, I need to answer it because they have a question and they're going to be stressed out. And, um, so I've, I've gotten better at that. I, I do put limits on that. Um, and I try to set aside time on the, just on the weekends to do schoolwork. Um, so during the week I do email but I don't really take home grading or planning. Um, but usually Sunday mornings is when I would um, sit down and either grade or plan or get things ready for the week um, so that we have that Saturday. Um, we have that Friday night to just hang out and spend time together and, and go hang out with friends or do whatever. Um, it's a lot easier during football season because he's into football. So on Sundays, I get to spend a lot of time getting my planning done. Um, cause he's watching football and doing all that and I can kind of do my thing. So I'll sit in the, you know, at the kitchen table and I can do my planning, but he's still watching football right in the next room and we can talk to each other and just kind of, you know, hang out together without actually hanging out together. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Just kind of being in the same room together yeah. or a same exactly. vicinity. Yes. <laughs> so I can tell him when, you know, I get a funny response from a kid and if something cool happens in the football game, he can show me and, you know. I pretend to care. <laughs> I feel like it's those slower moments that we usually end up missing because, yeah. you know, I mean, my my first year of teaching, I didn't do anything on the weekends or oh, yeah. the evenings. And then it's only, I think it only started a couple months ago where I was like, oh, I'm not working on the weekends or evenings anymore. Yeah. I have more time. So then I would like jam pack it with all of this stuff. I was like, hey, I can socialize. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can actually do all of this stuff. And then... 
Like, I think I crashed like a week ago where I was like, I just want to lay in bed forever. I just want life to be slow. Because I mean, all teachers know that when you're in the classroom, you don't get a break. And it's just like one thing after another. And then you get home. And then, I mean, being an adult, you have all these other things to do. Like you have a relationship. So you also need to prioritize that. It's like Mm -hmm. finding those slow moments in the day or on the weekends, I think are so important. When we've had weekends where we just don't have anything planned and we just, you know, we're we're still, you know, have breakfast dishes at noon on the table because we're just hanging out. And those are just the best weekends when you don't have anything planned. I put my school stuff away and we just lounge about and don't do anything. Maybe take the dog to the park. And it's just like you said, the slow moments are just awesome. And that's what's kind of nice about the end of the school year. Um, And this year, too, is I've gotten better at kind of prior um prioritizing what I have to do during the school year and during the school week um and trying to get more done before school after school during my prep so that I can honor those weekends and honor that time um but we are getting ready to put our house on the market um so our weekends have suddenly become very busy again um just cleaning stuff out and touching up paint and all that stuff um but I keep saying it's it's better that it's happening this time of the school year because things are starting to slow down at school. Um, so if things are a little crazier on the weekends, it's not not so stressful. I'm not worried about, oh my gosh, I have to get this lesson plan done and this graded and oh my gosh, I can't be moving this right now. And so it's it's interesting trying to find that balance. But I think I'm getting better. I think. But watch now it's gonna get hard again. <laughs> <laughs> just be like ask me in two weeks and we'll yeah. see how I feel. yeah I feel like when people ask me how I'm doing there's some weeks <laughs> where I'm like yeah life is great right? I've got everything together you know my kids are great and then a week later I'm like laying on my bed crying like I don't know what's happening anymore and so it just oscillates back and forth from week to week oh totally yeah um, yep. it definitely does well and um, you know, things were going all smooth. I had everything planned out. We only have, you know, three and a half weeks left. And so I had, I finally got to the point in the year where I could outline the rest of the school year. You know, I didn't, I didn't have copies made. I didn't have solid plans, but I had the idea. And I was, I texted my husband and I was like, I planned social studies for the rest of the year. This is amazing. And then about a week and a half later, um, my one of my coworkers who she's in the room next to me had to go in for emergency surgery and she's fine, but she is going to be out for the rest of the school year, which means she has a sub for the rest of the school year, but we don't have a long-term sub yet. And so someone has to make her plans. And so I've been helping with that. And I took over a math class because one of our um, math teachers left. So I don't have my prep period anymore. And I, I'm sorry, I'll, 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 elementary school teachers because I know you never get a prep period but I love my prep period so much (laughs) because I can get so much done and now I don't have that I have a class during that period and so my awesome feeling of yes I planned for the rest of the year and things are going so well like you said just kind of crashed and burned a little bit because now I'm I'm helping different subs every day or every couple days and making plans for another teacher and covering another class and like, oh yeah, this is teaching. You know, you feel super awesome and on top of everything one minute and then the next minute you're on your bed crying again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's just so many moving parts within teaching. Like there's your students and there's the curriculum and then there's like just all the emotions. And then also like the other members of your team. 
And Mm -hmm. it's, it's so hard because you want to be a supportive team member and you want to be there, but it does come at a sacrifice. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. For your own sustainability and like how much time you really have for yourself. Yeah, totally. And that's, that's been the struggle with this. Um, You know, no one chose for her to be out and obviously everyone would rather her be healthy, but this is where we are. And, you know, we pick up the slack because that's what you do for each other and it's better for the kids. And, um, you know, honestly, not the worst time of the school year for this to happen because it's it's the end of the school year. So we're starting to wrap things up. So it, it does get a little bit easier, but it's, you know, it's more work, but it's only a couple more weeks. So we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Summer Liz is coming. It's almost there. <laughs> yeah, I love that you have like two different personalities. <laughs> oh, <totally. laughs> school year Liz and Summer Liz. Yep, yep. What is Summer Liz like in comparison to school year Liz? Oh, man. Summer Liz is great. Summer Liz cleans the house more and is more relaxed. Um, just just so much more or less stressed out. I'm just, you know, just happier and more well-rested. I get to take my time when I eat and I can go pee whenever I want. So just, I think, just happier and more relaxed in general. So just. Just a more carefree person. If you want to stay out late, great. We want to go somewhere last minute. Awesome. Totally fine. Mm-hmm. So Summer Liz is, is a good person. <laughs> yeah, it's it's those little things that you don't realize you're doing or not doing until the break. Like yeah. I struggle so much with cleaning and washing dishes oh, because yeah. I get home and I'm like, the last thing I want to do is like any chores because I spend all day cleaning up after my kindergartners. Yeah. Like, I just want to lay down. I have no energy. And then when winter break comes or like summer break comes, I'm like deep cleaning my whole house and like having a blast, like music playing. And I'm like scrubbing my window pane. Oh, yeah. I was like, I didn't know that I enjoyed. Yeah. Like, I didn't know I enjoyed cleaning this much. I guess maybe I just have a little more energy. And like, I remember over winter break, I started watching um, that Netflix special on Marie Kondo like tidying up your life. I watched like the first 10 minutes and then I took the time to like take everything out of my dresser and Marie Kondo everything into her little like (laughs) threefold things. And Um, I'm just struggling so much now that it's still in the middle of the school year. I'm like, I'm not folding it in that nice way. I'm throwing it in. Like, why would I ever think that was a good idea? But like (laughs) winter break me was like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful and organized. I'm I'm totally going to keep up with this throughout the year because it makes me happy. And I'm like, oh, it's just so stressful. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's totally... Yeah, break you is just a completely different person that I can make decisions during the summer. Like I come home now and my husband will ask me like, what are we having for dinner? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't think right now. You have to decide things. I can't even make decisions right now. That's so funny that you said that because I just interviewed somebody two days ago who said the exact same thing. <laughs> she was like, she would go home and her partner would ask her what she wanted for dinner. And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's it's. If I walk in and there's something that I have to decide on or do, it's it's almost like overwhelming where you're just like, I can't, I just literally cannot make a decision right now because you're so exhausted from all the decisions and all the, the micromanaging that you have to do during the day where, you know, I have some days where, you know, this kid is 
you know, having a meltdown because her friend won't talk to her anymore. And I got an email from a parent asking a question and then my, you know, copier jam. And then you come home and you're like, I just can't, like, I can't decide if I should take off my shoes or my jacket first. Like that's a tough decision when I get home. So I am so looking forward to being able to just relax and having that mental energy back. Um, I'm, I can't wait for summer. <laughs> I'm ready. Do you see yourself teaching for longer? I mean, now you said this was the first year where you didn't feel as fresh and you didn't feel as passionate. Has your outlook on your teaching career kind of changed this year? I think, I think I'm a little more, um, a little more aware of what is involved. And I think that'll make me more prepared next year. Um, hopefully I have picked up some coping skills and hopefully I'll be able to let some things go next year. Not, not trying to be so on top of everything. Um, we had an opportunity to sign up for this, uh, language Academy for next year. And you get, you can get college credits or you can get a stipend. And I was very proud of myself because I did not sign up for it. Um, I didn't feel the pressure to do more and more and more. Um, I'm not permanent yet. And so I think I feel some pressure to say yes to everything because I want to make myself valuable to the district. I'd really, really like to stay there. Um, but I have one more year of gate training. Um, I'm going to volunteer to be our team lead for next year, which involves some extra things. Um, so I I decided I am going to let go of that, that guilt of not signing up for this academy. And I didn't sign up. And I was so proud of myself for saying no to something um, because... I was like, I just, I can't do another thing next year. I want to be a better teacher and not just make myself look good in the district and say yes to everything. I'm already saying yes to a lot of things. Um, and I've already, I feel like I've shown that I can be a really good team player and I can help other people. But I want to, I want this to be a sustainable career. I want to be able to stay in this forever. And I think if, I keep saying yes to everything and I keep overextending myself. That's not a sustainable idea. I can't do that forever. And I, I like being in the classroom. So I want to prioritize that. I'm so proud of you for saying no. That's so hard. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it takes so much more courage to say no to something and acknowledge and be self-aware and be like, I don't think I can take this on right now. Like, I don't think this would be best for me. And to put yourself first in that situation. Like, it's so, so scary to do that because people expect us to do the opposite yeah. as teachers. People expect us to do everything and wear all these different hats and say yeah. yes and be a team player and support not just our students, but like everyone else on our team and our school and yeah. our district and saying no. Like, I completely get that teacher guilt <laughs> that you feel. Oh, but sure. It's so important to say no. Yeah. Well, and I talked to, I mean, I make it sound like an easy decision, but I talked to my husband and I talked to all my coworkers and I talked to my friends. And Do you think it's okay if I say no to, if I don't sign off, do you think it's going to make me look bad? You know, there was a lot of, a lot of back and forth. And I, we got an email from our principal saying, Hey, we haven't had anyone sign up. We really want to encourage you to do this. And I almost, it was like that extra layer of, oh man, now they really need somebody and, and I was like, okay, I don't have to be that somebody every time. I don't have to step in if somebody else doesn't because I, I've started to see if I always say yes, then I'm going to be the person that they always come to rather than going to other people. And that's, that's not always, I want to be a team player. I want to be helpful, but it's 
I have to put myself first sometimes, like I said, so that I can continue to do this career. And I can't just be the, I can't be the only one who says yes all the time, you know? Yeah. And then you're, you need to set that boundary because if you keep on saying yes to everything, then you're kind of setting the bar higher for yourself in terms of what they expect from you. And then once you start like shedding some of those responsibilities or starting to take care of yourself, then I think a lot of people might think negatively of you because you set that bar so high. They're like, oh, she's not doing as much as she used to. When in reality, you might just be doing like a normal amount that other teachers are doing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and I see other teachers who have been teaching longer say no to things. And I'm like, oh, how did you do that? Teach me. You. <laughs> you can say no to things. I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> That's an option. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a first year teacher or like a new year, a newer teacher, especially when you say that you're not permanent, like, yeah, you do have to be really careful. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that I could stand up for myself. This is great. Yeah. Totally. And it's, it's empowering to, to come to that realization. And, and I think I'm so going to be that person who says yes a lot. Um, I do like to be involved in things. Um, but I think I have to be a little more choosy about what I get involved with and make sure that it's meaningful and works for me and not just for the district or the school or the team or, or whoever. It needs to be good for me too and not or at least not detrimental to me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And to kind of wrap up, I I wanted to ask you, since you have been losing some of that passion, but you're still saying to me, like, I do want to stay in the classroom and like you do want to protect yourself and work sustainably. Mm-hmm. What is something that you say to yourself or use as motivation when you do feel yourself losing that passion? Um, I think... I think I really try to, when I start to feel, I think I still have the passion. I just think sometimes it's a little, a little quieted sometimes. And when that happens, I try to just remember being in the classroom and my kids. And I think, you know, I usually get these little pick-me-ups when I need it, where a kid says something funny or, um, you know, a girl brought me cookies the other day. And just just little things where when I start to feel tired or start to feel a little run down, usually there's something that happens that kind of turns it around and reminds me like, oh, yeah, I do really like this job. Like, oh, you just said something really funny or cute or nice. Um, And I recently had so this is my third year. So my my kids who I had my first year are now eighth graders and. A yearbook teacher asked me for my phone number and I just kind of, you know, we exchanged phone numbers so we can keep in touch with each other and um, didn't think anything of it. And then she sent me um, a project that one of her eighth graders did. She has them do this photo project where um, the prompt is what I'll miss most about middle school. And I'm going to get emotional now. Um, One of my kids who was like, she was a good kid and she was, pretty intelligent and turned her things in. She, but was kind of average. I didn't need to support her extra or give her extra love or talk to her on my ramp. But, you know, I just kind of talked to her like a normal student. She chose my class as the one that she's going to miss the most because it helped her come out of her shell. And she, she even listed a couple of, like, it was such a well-written project. And she even 
uh, remembered some of the projects that we did. We made board games about Rome, which was just kind of my like, oh, shoot, we don't have iPads anymore. So you guys are going to make board games at the end of the year kind of project. And it was like her favorite project. And she talked about just making friends and becoming more confident. And, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like this kid that was just kind of an average kid. I didn't really talk to all that much, like remembers me and remembers what we did. And, and I was somehow impactful to her. And so just having kind of reminders of that helps me to, to kind of make that passion a little, a little more prevalent and and louder again. And I have a little, um, I call it my rainy day file. Um, in my file cabinet, I just keep any notes or anything that, that students have given me so that I have that like, okay, the kids like me and I'm still doing okay. Even when I feel like I'm not doing a good job or get that, you know, annoyed email from a parent, like, okay, close your door and do what's good for your kids. Like, just remember if you're doing this for the kids, not for administration or parents or anything like that. Like I'm doing it for the kids. I love that so much. I I completely relate to that too with, I mean, it's so easy to get bogged down with data and test scores and think like, oh no, I'm not making a difference. I'm not helping these kids at all, but it's all of those smaller things that you do throughout the day um, that make them remember you. And I will randomly like have a couple of kids who I taught last year just write me notes from their first grade class. And they're like, oh, I miss you, Miss Wong. I wish I was in kindergarten with you again. I had so much fun. And I, like, they always happen to pop up on the worst days like when you're having a really bad day. And then like this little girl walks into your classroom, like from first grade and gives you a note. And I'm like, what is it? She's like, it's for you. And it's like a full page of like, I want to be in kindergarten. I was like, oh, you remember? Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll stay. I'll keep on teaching. Yeah. They suck right back in. You're like, oh. and so now I have a policy too. I can't read notes from students in class because they make me cry. So <laughs> like, oh, I gotta just, just no reading notes during class because either I get annoyed or they make me cry. <laughs> oh yeah. That happened to me earlier this year. I had this student who was really challenging last year mm-hmm. and he went to this amazing first grade teacher and he and I have stayed in contact and we work together to give him breaks so he can come to my classroom because all of my students worship him because they're like, ooh, he's in first grade. He's cool. Yeah. And he came out in the beginning of the year and we have this thing where he always thinks I'm spying on him. And he's always trying to spy on me. So he'll like sneak sneak up on me with like his hands around his eyes pretending like he's got binoculars. That's so so we took a picture together and he went up to the first grade teacher, his teacher who had taken the picture and he was like, Can you can you print that out for me? Can you print out two copies so I can give one to Miss Wong and then I can take one home? And I was like, oh, oh, you want to take that picture home? Oh my gosh. So like, I have that picture saved. Like I have it printed out. It's on my door. So I see it every day when I walk in, just as a reminder of like, it was so hard last year. And I thought that I was failing him all the time, but he remembers. And Isn't like, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. Well, and that's what, you know, I've got a couple, man, I've got one kid now who he is a handful and a half, man. He's, he's loud and, and he's just, just doesn't stop moving. And he's one of those kids that just, sometimes you just have to walk away from him and just not work with him for a minute because he's so frustrating, but he is so 
sweet and kind and funny. Like he really wants to be helpful. And he's got, he's on the spectrum. He's got ADHD, um, not a whole lot of support at home. So he's just got a rough, he's got a rough go of it. And, and his, if you look at his, you know, file, it's just discipline after discipline, after discipline, after discipline. And I just, he's one of those ones that I'm just, I'm scared for him for next year because it's he's just getting bigger and it's just going to get harder but i'm just hoping that like some of the things i say because i try to be positive to him and tell him like i know that you can be really helpful and kind so if you get if you get antsy and you really have to move around like you get and then you can do better and i'm just hoping that 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 sticks with him and it's hard because you don't you know like with your kid you don't see it until the next year or even later than that so it's hard to know like if if you helped or if you made a difference. So hopefully I did. I don't know. We'll see. He's a, sure he's a quirky kid, man. He's, he's a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you have any funny middle school stories or like cringy middle school stuff? That's I, I have one that is my, even my principal, we talked about it after and he goes, I feel like you have been initiated and you are now a middle school teacher. So we were, um, we were doing a read aloud and I have the the story on, um, it's like an audio book. And so all the iPads were put away. The kids have their books. So I was just sitting at my desk so I could pause the recording um, to talk about it as we went along. And I thought I could see all of my students. And then I kind of realized partway through one of my kids is kind of behind my, com- like view wise behind my computer. Um, so I kind of peek and he has his chair He's sitting in his chair and then the chair in front of him is facing him with his binder propped up. So I can't see what's in his lap. And it looks like he's on his iPad and I don't see his iPad or his book. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to bust him. I'm going to get him. And I was like, so and everyone's listening. So I just quietly get up from my chair and he's looking at his lap and like, ah, ha ha, teacher moment. I got him. And. I go over and I look and he's not playing with his laptop. He's playing with himself. Oh no. <laughs> and it was out and I saw it and he quickly forward to like cover himself up. And I just, I just looked at his face. I go, you need to take out your book and read. And I turned around and just in my head, full on panic because I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I just saw it. And I just, I mean, I just freaked out it was terrible and so I immediately text my co-teacher because it's still in class like we're still I still have to interact with this person and so she she goes okay at lunch which luckily it was like five or ten minutes to lunch she's like go up to the office and tell um our counselor because if somebody else saw him like he wasn't he was just bored and he had something to play with like he was not active he was not directing anything towards anyone but there was another girl sitting at his table luckily she was across I don't think anyone else saw it but I was like oh my god this could be like a really big deal so I go up to our counselor who she's just she's really funny and she thought it was the funniest thing in the world because I was freaking out and I'm usually pretty even killed and I came up and I was like he had it out and I just saw his thing and it was out <laughs> Anywho, so our counselor just thought it was the funniest thing she had ever heard. Um, and she said, okay, we'll have our, our principal come talk to him because our principal's a guy and, and you know. Um, 
And so I had two more periods with this kid until the end of the day. And usually when my kids come back into the room, I give them high fives. And I was like, oh, I am not touching this kid. So sometimes what I would have them do is pick up trash and that's their like ticket in the door. So I hold my trash can and they pick up trash around campus. And that's so I was like, stand at my ramp, but all right, everybody, one piece of trash. Make sure you get hand sanitizer when you're done. Everybody get hand sanitizer. <laughs> um, and my principal never came to come get him because they didn't want to shame him and didn't want to pull him out of class. The principal, it looks like you're in huge trouble. Um, so I went up to the office at the end of the day and our counselor said she was going to call dad. And she was like, do you want to listen in? Which, of course. So she called dad and dad does not pick up. So she had to call mom. And poor mom just goes, what? It was out? <laughs> so she was panicking. And so our counselor handled it really, really well. It's like, you know, maybe just talk about the, the right time and just being appropriate in class. And, and Miss Turner, you know, she's dealt with this before. It's not a big deal. And I was like, I have never dealt with this before. <laughs> so and later I talked to my my principal and he's like so you know just make sure you know he's like obviously you're going to tell this story to make sure you don't use names and, and you are now a middle school teacher <laughs> like, well, yeah. thanks it's like the initiation you are yes. officially a middle yeah. school teacher I'm officially a middle school teacher <laughs> and wow. I survived so you did that's awesome and hilarious oh. and also horrible <laughs> Yeah, it's it's oh, it's so funny, but so terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So my last question that I've been asking everyone is, do you have any advice for any teachers who might be struggling or going through a hard time or need some motivation? Oh, gosh, I don't know if I'm qualified to give advice because I'm still fi- um, I'm still figuring it out on myself. So maybe my advice would be don't panic if you don't know what you're doing, because none of us do. <laughs> We're all just trying to figure it out and and it's okay to to not do everything. It's okay to not to, it's okay to say no. And I'm still figuring that out too. So I am no expert, but but it's okay. <laughs> oh, that's so important to hear. I wish someone had told me that my first year because I was trying to do everything. And I was like, yeah. I don't know how to do anything. I don't know how to teach. So I would like spend my whole weekend oh, yeah. trying to figure everything out. So yeah. It's good to know that nobody really knows what they're doing, right? Yeah. And one of one of our coworkers said, uh, you know, you're not going to hurt the kids by trying something new. It's not, you're not going to break them. And that, that was helpful for me to know, like, if a lesson doesn't go well, like, they come back tomorrow. Just do something different or try again. It's okay. Thank you again for listening to Hashtag Teacher Life. You can support this podcast by liking us on social media, sharing with your friends, and most importantly, by having more of these open and honest conversations with teachers around you. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can go to teacherlifepod.com, click on Be a Guest, and fill out the form. I'd love to hear and share your stories as well. And if you have any feedback or would just like to chat, You can always find me on Facebook or Instagram at TeacherLifePod.
I'm Victoria Wong, and remember, teachers, your voice is important, you deserve to be heard, and you are absolutely enough. See you next time.